Thank you for watching NTD Business Top Stories tonight. The United States reaches its borrowing limit. The Treasury Department now trying to avoid a government default. A San Francisco business owner is arrested. A video of him went viral on social media where he was seen spraying a homeless woman with water, trying to get her to move. At the World Economic Forum meeting in Davos, the United Nations chief slams fossil fuel producers hard, saying that oil is inconsistent with human survival. What's behind the war on fossil fuels? And a new survey shows that Americans are losing more and more money because of financial illiteracy. It caused many to lose over $10,000 last year. Then much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us, Don Ma here. The United States has officially reached its debt limit. The debt ceiling set by Congress has a borrowing limit of $31.4 trillion. The federal government hit that this morning. Now the Treasury Department is set to begin taking what's called extraordinary measures to avoid a default and to ensure the federal government can continue financing its obligations for several more months. Congress now has the ability to raise the debt limit, and it has done that numerous times in the past. But it's something some Republicans have said they refuse to do this time without a negotiation first on cutting federal spending. Lawmakers have a few months to negotiate until the government defaults, something that really has never happened before. But if it does, it could hurt the national economy. Meanwhile, angry customers vented on social media yesterday about problems with their Bank of America and Zelle accounts. Some users said money vanished from their accounts. They also complained about a lack of information from either company about what went wrong. Zelle is a payment platform that millions of people use to send and receive money. The company says the problem is on Bank of America's side. Now, according to an NPR report, one user shared that Bank of America had magically disappeared a large Zelle transaction that they had used to pay bills. The user said their checking account was now in debt and they couldn't get a hold of anyone to help them, while another user said he was missing $1,300. He was told to call customer service but said they weren't helping him. Bank of America said the problem, though, now has been resolved. And over in San Francisco, the homeless debate is back in the news. This comes after an art gallery owner was arrested yesterday for spraying a homeless woman with a hose last week. A video went viral, sparking outrage. It shows him telling her to move while she sits on the sidewalk near his gallery. The owner, Shannon Collier Gwynn, told the San Francisco Chronicle the woman was being belligerent just before he hosed her. She was turning over his trash cans and even spitting on him. He's now publicly apologized. He told CBS he feels awful about it because he's put a lot of effort into actually helping the woman, you know, letting her sleep in his entryway and calling social services and police to try to get her help. Investigative journalist Michael Schellenberger actually wrote a very interesting book on homelessness in San Francisco. Now, he believes the problem comes down to progressive groups. He says that some would rather keep people on the street and defund shelters. On Twitter, he said the city previously required homeless people to come inside where it's safer. But then last month, a judge ordered the city to let people camp on the sidewalks again. Schellenberger says many of the homeless are mentally ill or addicted to drugs, and they're three times more likely to die outside. He says some solutions are to build enough shelters 
enforce camping bans and offer care for those who need it. If the gallery owner is convicted, he faces a $2,000 fine and up to six months in jail. And the entertainment industry as a whole is facing some earnings problems. Hollywood studios lost half a trillion dollars in market value last year. And the head of the largest movie theater chain in the U.S. won't take a raise next year as a result. NTD's John Marshall has more. Plain and simple, the entertainment industry is struggling. Hollywood and the world's largest media entertainment industry companies lost trillions of dollars in stock market value last year alone. Stock prices of major media companies dropped at least 35% last year, some more than 60%. This isn't because they all turned into bad businesses overnight. Pandemic recovery is an obvious reason, as well as inflation and economic struggles causing cheaper entertainment decisions. What do people on the street think? You know the first thing that should be improved is you, everyone thought if you unhook from your cable, you would be able to save money, but now there's six or seven different services that you have to connect to. I don't care about that. I don't want to do that. I want to have two. And then I could have like the Disney and then the um, whatever the other one would be. Netflix. Don't you think that that seems to me like a I don't want to have to pay more than I paid before. One other factor may be a drop in Hollywood's share of the Chinese market. It fell from 45 percent a decade ago to just 8 percent so far this year. Increased competition from Chinese films has led to fewer approvals for Hollywood imports in China. The number of U.S.-made films getting approval for release in China has dropped from 73 in 2018 to just 28 expected this year. Another unforeseen variable is that independent filmmaking has exploded. Even beginner filmmakers are able to shoot decent movies using their smartphones. Unsane, a psychological horror film released in February 2018 in Berlin, earned $14.3 million at the box office. It was shot on an iPhone 7 Plus. Sean Marshall, NTD News. And on to Wall Street. Stocks ended lower today. The Dow lost 252 points, or 0.8%. S&P dropped 30 points, also 0.8%. And the Nasdaq fell 105 points, or 1%. The World Economic Forum is calling for new initiatives to standardize and revamp diversity, equity, and inclusion, or DEI, initiatives in companies. In a white paper published Tuesday, the organization urged corporations and governments to do more to track racial data. It's titled Prioritizing Racial and Ethnic Equity in Business. It was released as part of this week's summit in Switzerland. The paper says minorities bear the brunt what it calls today's poly crisis, something it defines as the culmination of the COVID-19 pandemic, climate issues and political unrest. A set of guidelines for business owners was released alongside the paper detailing how to adopt equitable practices. The report acknowledges concerns over race-based data collection invoking the Spanish Inquisition and even Nazi Germany as two examples of that danger. Backing the initiative are giants like Google, Deutsche Bank, Coca-Cola, BlackRock, Bloomberg, AstraZeneca, Johnson Johnson, Microsoft, PayPal, and MasterCard. The United Nations chief took a hard jab at the fossil fuel industry at the WEF meeting. He blamed the industry for heating up the planet. Fossil fuel producers and their enablers are still racing to expand production 
knowing full well that this business model is inconsistent with human survival. And like the tobacco industry, those responsible must be held to account. The UN chief says that fossil fuel producers were aware in the 70s that their product was, quote, baking our planet. The World Economic Forum has made climate one of the key themes this year's gathering in the Swiss mountain resort. With a number of panel discussions dedicated to topics like energy transition and sustainability, a recent WEF article said that humanity's greatest challenge right now is climate change. It asserted that we need to speed up the green energy transition. And now joining me to talk about the WEF at Davos this week is Kevin Stocklin. He's an Epoch Times financial reporter who's been actually covering the meeting. He's also the producer of a new Epoch Times documentary about ESG called The Shadow State. Kevin, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much for having me. Now, Kevin, first off, I, I just want to get your reaction on something. You know, at the WEF, uh, the UN Secretary General said that fossil fuel producers' business model is inconsistent with human survival. What's your reaction to that? Well, I think the WEF is contradicting themselves. Uh, currently, um, humanity depends on fossil fuels for 80% of its energy, and more than 3 billion people around the Earth depend on synthetic fertilizers to feed themselves, and that's a derivative of natural gas. The WEF has uh, identified um, what they call the cost of living crisis as the number one threat facing humanity today, particularly the escalating cost of fuel and food. And to the extent that they've, the WEF has conducted a war on the fossil fuel industry, uh, the people gathered this week at Davos uh, and participating in this WEF summit are the very ones who are responsible for this cost of living crisis. A common theme that I've noticed uh, looking at the WEF this week are words like catastrophic, crisis, uh, calamities and disaster you know i could go on but why are such strong words you know so common at the davos meeting uh, the WEF has said that 2023 is the year of what they call the polycrisis, and they've uh, pre presented a huge matrix of all the threats that are coming up to humanity. And of course, over the, the next 10 years, the number one threat by far is going to be climate change. Um, so we need to be kept in a current state of perpetual crisis and a current uh, permanent state of, of emergency. And it's not just the WEF. This is the language of the U.S. government as well. Um, we have a climate emergency. We have a um, racism health emergency. We have a gun violence health emergency. Um, so everything is a health emergency. And the reason that this is so important is that it allows uh, governments and organizations like the WEF to suspend uh, the normal way of doing things under a democracy where we elect officials and we have a process of discussing and debating and coming to a consensus about laws where we're all represented, where our voices are represented. But uh, a state of emergency means that we don't have to do all that. We can override the democratic process and we can invest, uh, we can invest emergency powers in central governments. And we saw this during the COVID crisis when the uh, federal government and, and state um, governors were able to override legislatures and force lockdowns, force masking, force vaccines. 
And um, so this is uh, living in a perpetual state of emergency is very valuable when you're an organization that wants to centralize control. And on that point, let's talk about ESG since you have a documentary, a new documentary on the Epoch Times website. So ESG is a big item uh, on their agenda, but unlike previous years, there's not a lot of explicit mentions of the word ESG. You know, why do you think that is? Yes, uh, you're absolutely right about that. So two years ago in Davos, uh, the, the talk was all about the Great Reset. Um, and uh, after that, it became ESG. What happens is very similar to uh, critical race theory. People learn about what this ideology is. They learn about the effects um, and they don't like it. And so there becomes a public backlash against having this imposed on them. Um, and this is very much happening now with ESG. At state levels in the US, a number of states have now come out and banned the use of their state pension money to support the ESG ideology. Um, state attorney generals are conducting investigations to bring a lot of this to light. Um, we may be seeing some legal action against the ESG advocates for violating U.S. antitrust laws, which forbid corporations from colluding with each other to take out other companies or other industries. And in Europe, we saw um, governments in Italy and Sweden um, become conservative and that was part of a, a voter backlash against this ESG movement. So we're definitely seeing a lot of pushback, and that's going to heat up quite a bit in 2023. And you go into a lot of detail in your documentary, actually. Maybe just talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, The Shadow State is uh, our documentary on the ESG industry, and we basically look at this. Um, it's an ideology, and it's, it's a, a multi-trillion dollar industry. And we look at um, how it works, who are the key drivers and how, over the past couple of decades, this movement has been able to arm twist and co-opt the vast majority of the world's corporations into getting in line with this agenda. And it's not just the environmental component, it's also the social component. It's why people are forced to undergo DEI training to keep their jobs. It's why uh, Disney has uh, come out um, fighting against the parents' rights law in Florida. and and sexualizing their content. Where is our vote in all this? Where Where's the voice of the people? You know, we were raised in the United States thinking that we had the right to elect officials that represent us, and that's how policy gets set. Now we're learning that it's being set by these backdoor deals in Davos and discussions that we're not privy to that we don't know anything about, but it affects our lives so dramatically. So um, this is this is basically what the documentary is investigating. Yeah, in fact, I was watching it just yesterday in preparation for this interview. I have to say it's very interesting, and I think uh, everyone should give it, a, give it a look if they have the time. But anyways, thank you very much, Kevin, for speaking to me today. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. To get a deeper look at the World Economic Forum and its ESG agenda, visit theshadowstate.com, where you can watch Kevin's documentary on the topic. And our special report today highlights the importance of financial literacy. We are a business show after all. A new study shows that financial illiteracy is costing Americans more and more money every year. The National Financial Educators Council asked Americans how much money they lost last year because of this illiteracy. The average amount was around $1,800. Now, keep in mind, this is only the amount they thought 
they lost. And looking at this chart here, it's been the highest in the last half a decade. The council says that if we multiply the amount lost by the roughly 254 million adults in this country, that means Americans lost over $436 billion last, last year. Financial illiteracy is actually quite prominent in America. A recent S&P survey found that 43% of adults are financially illiterate, meaning you know they don't know about basic financial concepts. Certified financial planner Andrew Latham from supermoney.com says not understanding money has very serious consequences. You often don't have enough savings to overcome an emergency. You don't have enough savings for retirement. You can't achieve the goals that, that you want to achieve that, that cost money, unfortunately, most of the time. So it can have a serious consequences. And as a certified financial planner, Latham has seen a range of clients. Some of them are financially savvy, while some need help simply just opening a checking account. Latham says one key reason for the illiteracy is a lack of education. For the most part, personal finance isn't really taught in K through 12. It isn't even taught in college unless you know students specifically choose courses related to it. And we also spoke to someone who's has weekly engagement sessions with college students. Aaron Rafferty is the co-founder of Battle Packs, which helps amplify the ideas of college students in the media. He finds that many students are in fact not very financially savvy. We have uh, certain questions of the week, and one of them is about student loan forgiveness. But what are the implications of forgiving you know, trillions in student loans? Um, these are not the questions that are coming up. and. Uh, if, if those were better understood, um, then there would be, um, I think, more apprehension. That being said, I will say that there are some students that do understand that money does come from somewhere. We also spoke to former teacher, principal, and superintendent Donna Marie Kozine. She's been working in K-12 education for almost 30 years now. And in all that time, she has not seen financial literacy being taught. In elementary schools, we talk about money, but it's really about how to make change. Um, we might talk about economics and supply and demand. And, you know, the larger the demand, the lower the supplies, what that means for the bottom line. But no, financial literacy has not been something that I have ensured is taught in my schools. And again, it goes back to I've worked in states where it's not a standard or a requirement. And there are so many standards and requirements in the states that if it's not required, it often is not covered, unfortunately. In fact, two-thirds of the country does not require personal finance education in high school. Donna Marie Kozine says that getting states to mandate education is one part of the solution. The curriculum requirements are determined by each state's Department of Education. So really, you would need to get the ear of some of your, you know, some of your elected officials and talk about it until the states, the state departments of education realize that it is something that is necessary. Schools will see it more as an elective than as a required course. Meanwhile, the report from the National Financial Educators Council shows that 38% of adults said financial illiteracy cost them at least $500. And 15% said they lost over $10,000. A majority, around 68%, declared themselves financially illiterate. 
and taking a short break. But if you have any news, tips, or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at ntd.com. Still to come, Olympic sprinter Usain Bolt says millions of dollars have disappeared from his account with a Jamaican investment firm. What happened? And demand for non-alcoholic drinks is soaring. We hear from business owners who are rushing to keep up. That and more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. Olympic sprinter Usain Bolt is trying to recover more than $12.7 million that disappeared from his account with a Jamaican investment firm. A lawyer for Bolt told Reuters that Kingston-based Stocks and Securities Limited informed Bolt last week that his account balance had dwindled to just $12,000. SSL said in a statement that it had become aware of a former employee's fraudulent activity. The firm has referred the matter to law enforcement. Jamaican police said on Monday that its fraud and financial investigation teams were on the case. Bolt's account was intended to serve as a pension for the eight-time Olympic gold medalist and his parents. During his career, Bolt revived the sport, which had been plagued by doping scandals. He retired in 2017 after dominating global sprinting for a decade. Now it looks like SSL is giving the 36-year-old a run for his money. And more Americans are buying new cars for less than the sticker price. That's according to car valuing company Edmunds. That also means fewer Americans are paying above the sticker price, from 80% a year ago to 35% in December. On average, Americans paid $300 below the suggested retail price in December. Still, that's much smaller than the 2600 that buyers saved in 2019. The average transaction price remains at a record high. Last month, it was just below $50,000. That's up $10,000 from 2019 before the pandemic threw a wrench in the new car market. And non-alcoholic drinks are surging in demand as more and more customers are choosing mocktails over traditional beverages, especially now during dry January while the sober movement is taking place across the country. Here's a look at what's behind the trend and how businesses are taking advantage of this wave in popularity. Non-alcoholic booze. It's one of the fastest growing trends in the adult beverage industry. This dry January has snowballed into the driest January on record. Abby Emmen, owner of a sober bar in New York, is one of the growing number of business owners cheering on the trend, especially this month. Emmen says she's catering beyond a section of consumers who are abstaining from alcohol. We've run out of everything because the demand's been so high and trying to reorder has been impossible because they haven't been able to keep up with the demand. According to to Nielsen, sales of non-alcoholic beverages like spirits, beers, wines, and canned mocktails grew 20.6% between August 2021 and August 2022, totaling $395 million. And businesses across the country are taking advantage of the unprecedented demand. 
Not drinking has become less of something that you have to explain. In Grand Rapids, customers are pouring into Alt City in a bottles and beer. The shop's co-owner says business has exceeded expectations as the sober curious movement gains momentum among consumers. They don't want to consume as much and they want to be mindful about their choices. So it's a super inclusive movement. Keeping product on the shelf has been the biggest challenge so far. And beverage companies are paying attention. Recently, Molson Coors launched a new booze-free mocktail called Roxy, catering to the growing segment of consumers experimenting with alcohol substitutes. According to Nielsen data, younger Gen Z consumers appear to be less interested in drinking alcohol than previous generations, which could be one reason for the rise in popularity in booze-free drinks. And the demand for previously owned high-priced luxury handbags from Hermes, Chanel, Gucci, and Louis Vuitton is down. According to a report released today from luxury reseller Real Real, those handbag resale prices fell about 10 to 20 percent over the past 90 days. However, Real Real's merchandising director says demand for lower-priced used luxury brands is up. According to industry data, overall, the second-hand market is red-hot as consumers look for more bang for their buck. And that's all the stories today from the NTD business team and myself, Don Ma. You can follow me on Twitter if you're there. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at NTD.com. That's all for today. Thank you for watching. I'll see you tomorrow.